When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 1107. Head on over to ID10T.com, sign up for our email list. You know, we don't send tons of emails. It's not too overwhelming in your inbox, but um, we'll let you know about podcasts and sales that we're having, which we do pretty regularly. Also, we're constantly adding new stuff and vintage stuff. So yes, ID10T.com, sign up for the email list, and then follow us on the Instagrams at ID10T. Let's talk about you, the ID10T community, on the ID10T community corkboard events at ID10T.com, like Christy, who writes... During quarantine, I actually started making these adorable little crocheted items called Amigurumi, which translates to crocheted stuffed toy, which is exactly what I'm into at the moment, she says. Um, so she makes a ton of she says she makes a ton of pop culture stuff that are relevant to your interests, but also just things like bears, elephants, mice, food items, uh, so forth. She says it's very fun and satisfying, and I'd love to invite everyone to my Etsy page, Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, Crochet Crafts. Plural, crafts, plural. Christy Crochet Crafts. Uh, so that's it. Thank, and she says, thank you so much for the support. So support her. Go uh, buy some cool Amigurumi and, uh, and have some adorable crocheted uh, plush toys to bring some joy into your life. This episode is uh, Elizabeth Shue, who was awesome. Oh, she was so cool. You know, she's been in so many movies that were very influential to me growing up besides a Karate Kid, but also the Back to the Future series and Adventures in Babysitting and Soap Dish, which is a movie that I loved. And she was amazing in Leaving Las Vegas. And she was incredible on the last season of The Boys. Um, And she's great. Uh, She appears in Cobra Kai season three, which is so good. Oh, my wife and I love it so much. It's so good. Cobra Kai is on Netflix. The third season just went up not that long ago, so you can watch all three seasons if you haven't watched it yet. You know, look, it's a super cool show. If you did, if you never watched the original movies, um, you can still enjoy the show. If you did watch the original movies, it's so satisfying because they just do such a great job of just tying so many things together and uh, telling a lot of stories that kind of... I don't want to give too much away, but it's just handled really well and it's really cool. And there are many times in the series where you're like, oh my God, they, oh, that, that, because that's the thing from this movie. And they seem to be pulling stuff from all the films. So it's great. Cobra Kai season three and Elizabeth Shue is so great in it. She was so cool and open and down to earth and just an absolute joy to uh, to talk to. So um, thank you so much to Elizabeth Shue. Thank you for listening uh, to the 1107th episode of the ID10T podcast, which now begins. 
Oh, actually, before we begin, I do want to give a fair spoiler warning. Um, we talk about Cobra Kai, the series, and season three. We do cover some plot points. Uh, Elizabeth Shue is in season three. That is not a secret. That's a, not a spoiler. That's already out there in the world. Uh, but we do talk about um, some of the things that she uh, does in the show. Uh, so if you're very hardcore about spoilers... This is your warning to uh, turn this off, go watch the series, and then come back and listen to the podcast. Um, if you're not going to watch Cobra Kai or spoilers, don't really, uh, you don't care, then uh, by all means, go ahead and listen. But just wanted to give you a fair warning in this spoiler alert system. Uh, so now we can begin. Initiating ID10T protocol. First of all, uh, I love the blue in your background. That's a gorgeous shade of blue. Well, it just happens to be my daughter's room, and it's the only place in the house where no one can get in, and it's relatively quiet. That's basically why I'm in here. It's a very peaceful, <laughs> ethereal <laughs> place that you. Yeah, were no, it's almost like with. I'm going to heaven over here with the light coming in. <laughs> is that a turntable in your daughter's room? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to be re- very retro. The whole family is trying to go backwards. Do 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 young folks these days really appreciate vinyl, uh, or is it is it more of yes. like? Uh, or did they do really? They do appreciate, but I don't think they have the patience for it. Ultimately, you know, they just they just want to com- you know just have their phone ready and just hit any song they want to hear at any time. You have to really look for the albums. It takes some time. <laughs> yeah. Pick the yeah. song on the album. I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily listen to the entire album. So, at least with yeah. a record, you could lift and get to the right groove. Cassettes to me were the most inefficient ways to manage music. Yeah, but I, I just feel overwhelmed by how much music there is. So, I don't listen to any of it. I actually um, <laughs> I bought some um, CDs from Time Life over the TV. And my family made fun of me, but I said, you know what? I want some CDs in my car. I got something really cheesy, like soft rock. Nice. <laughs> I decided I just have to have some CDs, like like cassettes, you know, just something real that I could put into the, the player and listen to. Because all right, so all I, the voices, I just don't go. All right. Anyway. All right. Here we go. Well, no, no, no. Not at all. Because no, no, I really want to find out. I want to find out what's on Elizabeth Shue's soft rock playlist. <laughs> Um, I don't really have any playlists. I should make some, but no, everything that's just from the seventies. I don't just like Dreamweaver, you know, like crazy weird songs that you listen to that you would never think to listen to. But if you buy a CD set, all of a sudden it's going to come up, and you have to listen to Dreamweaver. You know what? Gary Wright was like an early adopter of the keyboard, and that's what like blew him up in the seventies. He just had those weird synthy chord progressions. I'm I'm a huge fan of his music and and really all 70s synth rock in general. Yeah, I miss I miss those days when when music was kind of your life, you know, it was like the soundtrack of your life. It's hard for us to understand 
because it, it's so hard. I feel like it's, you know, now I'm getting into like, get off my lawn territory, but the, but, but music now, like I don't have a connection point to a lot of music now. And I will just listen to songs that I wasn't even a huge fan of in the seventies and eighties, but yeah. somehow just kind of root me in this, like, Oh, I feel okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Simpler times. You just connect to your innocence when things were just, everything was exciting. You know, I think every song we listened to, we were on our way out to a party or might, we might see the quarterback of the football team. His truck might be parked outside of the party. You know, it was just, the drama was just so pure. <laughs> well, I have, to, you know, what's interesting about this conversation is that it accidentally and perfectly sort of bleeds into what I think is the most important thematic storyline of Cobra Kai, which is living in the past. Yes, yes. The entire series to me, which my wife and I love, is just about people who cannot get past their past. They just can't. As hard as they try to be in the moment and grownups, they are anchored by, they can just cannot get, get by their past. Yeah, no, I found that hilarious. I think that's what really drew me to it was um, I really loved the scene of the two of them in the bar talking about me <laughs> and how they, they, they still somehow seemed obsessed and um, were making fun of my husband and my last name. And I don't know, it was just so sweet and kind of innocent and just made me want to come back. I mean, it is, it is really sweet because it, it also, I mean, I, I've adored this show since it came out because listen, I'm, I'm of the exact right age to, I was born in 71. So when Karate Kid came out, I went to see it with my dad and it was like, it, it did exactly what it was designed to do, which is it just burrowed into my soul. And then when, when cable, you know, it was on cable a hundred thousand times uh, and I've seen it a hundred thousand times. So the idea that the people who made the show were like, well, let's not just extend what that was. Let's show other perspectives and fill in the gaps so in that first season, when, you know, when Daniel's like, hey, you beat the shit out of me all the time. And John Lawrence is like, but you stole my girlfriend. You know, it's like you start to realize, <laughs> oh, there's a perspective shift. And your character very sort of adeptly kind of tells them what the audience already knows, which is like, we, uh, you guys, come on, what are you doing? Yeah. No, that I was very grateful, too, to get the truth of um, uh, Ali's story in, in Karate Kid 2 cleared up. That, <laughs> that meant a lot to me. I have to say, I was pretty bitter about that situation for many years. Oh, really? <laughs> I really was. I really was. I never watched Karate Kid 2 or 3 because of it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah, because he basically... Yeah. She wrecked the car, and then she went after this football player, and... It was such a brilliant, so poetic to then finally, and you know, without giving too much away, to finally explain that situation. And then you realize like, oh yeah, that was another thing that we just took for granted that actually was just one person's distorted perspective of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was very happy about that. <laughs> Do you think you'll be able to go back and watch two or three now that, now that it's all been tied up? I might, I might. Yeah, I just might. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, it, it's such a pleasure and an honor to talk to you because you were not, not only were you involved in some of the most influential films 
that I watched growing up, but also just like thing after thing is really fantastic. Like I think Soap Dish is one of the greatest comedies. Oh, I love of- Soap Dish. Oh, I'm so glad that you love that movie. I feel like that movie didn't get its its moment. You know, somehow it it didn't do as well as it could have, or I don't know. It doesn't seem to have uh, broken through into our culture at all. And I, I, it's one of my favorites. I mean, it's it's basically like watching a theatrical comedy. It's like watching a brilliant stage play, but so, but everyone is so just on fire. Like everyone is operating at eleven in that the comedy <laughs> and the jokes. You know, you and. Sally Field and Kathy Moriarty and Robert Downey Jr. I mean, oh, it's Kevin Klein. How great. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. I know that scene in the old age home when he's doing yes. desk salesman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. It's so good. I mean, is, you know, when I look at your, when I look at your career, you know, what I see is what I assume, and I'd love to get your take on this is you seem to be someone who just, likes the stuff that she likes and there's no real one thing that you do. It's, it's, you know, it's comedy. And I think maybe you got pigeonholed for a minute doing comedy, but then leaving Las Vegas came out and then people were like, Holy shit. And so it, it really seems like you sort of pick and choose things that speak to you. So what is, what is your selection process and and how, like, how did that unfold as you started working more? Um, I don't know, but there's, there's really no plan. Uh, I think if you look at all the films I've done, you'll notice that (laughs) it's very up and down, um, very hit or miss. So I would say that I just, um, would look at what the opportunity was at the moment. And as you know, there is the, um, reality of the shifting sands of status in this business. (laughs) So... There were times when I had a lot of things to look at and probably made some good choices. And there were times where I probably didn't have as much to look at and made some dubious choices. Um, But overall, I guess I've always just been attracted to anyone, any character who is as complicated as they can be. Somebody who is sort of on the edge, um, on the verge of destruction, hopefully, and um, people who are uh, just... Just a little desperation in any character goes a long way for me. (laughs) I mean, like that, the thing that you mentioned about the shifting sands of status and the business, which sort of like, in a way rules, it it rules some, but I feel like the people that really navigate it well, just don't, it's like, okay, fine, whatever. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. And then at the end, when you sort of look look back after you know a couple decades of working, you go, "Oh, that person did some really amazing things and just didn't pay attention because that status shit can really mess with people's heads if that's what they are focused on. It's hard not to focus on it a little, but focus on it too much is deadly. Yeah, no, you have to say goodbye to your ego at some point if you want to be an actor, <laughs> 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 which is hard. <laughs> Which is hard. But um, yeah, I think what's helped me a bunch is um, having a family. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty cliche, but um, my family has mattered so much to me over these years. And I've put most of my focus on them um, and tennis. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of work on tennis to go through the midlife crises. That's helped a bunch. And um, yeah, just just being grateful 
being grateful for the opportunities you do have versus being bitter about the opportunities you don't have. Right. That's helped a lot. Um, yeah, definitely being grateful. I would say that is the key to navigating this career. It's hard, it, it can be really hard to stay present too yeah. in the midst of everything because, you know, again, you know, this goes back to the idea of being, you know, haunted by your past, but there are things, you know, like maybe movies you're like, oh man, why did I do that? I, maybe I should have done this one or I should. And it's like, well, but it doesn't, at the end of the day, it's still all part of the journey. And if you're focused on the journey, then that's, that's kind of the important part, not the result. Yes, you are forced into that philosophy. I wouldn't say that I was as evolved during um, periods of my career where I thought I did deserve a lot more. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, uh, the great thing about old age is that it forces you kicking and screaming to um, get to know that uh, you are very grateful and fortunate to have the opportunities you have. And um, once you put your ego to bed, why would you be upset with what you don't have? Really? Exactly. Well, it's it's a messed up thing because when you're young, I feel like yeah. you're you're very it can be easy to be very ego driven because you're trying to establish your identity, you're trying to establish your own significance, your own like plant a flag in the ground. And so I feel like there's a little bit of human like psychobiology for lack of a better term that they kind of direct some of that and then the most of I think most of your adult life is trying to undo that and shed off the layers of that and and get past it. Well, you know, it's really funny. I was just, um, I was um, watching um, an interview of Victoria Azarenka, Mm -hmm. great tennis player. And she was talking about her career and she was talking about how um, when she was number one in the world, she did kind of give over to her ego of, of being in that spot. And then whenever she would lose, she would feel this sense of shame. You know, like, how could you lose if, if, if this is who you are meant to be? You're meant to be number one. Right. And um, it really messed with her head. And, and one of the reasons why she's doing so well right now is because she's learned an attitude of neutrality. Oh, and wow. That, yeah. And it's really helped me. It's really helped me on the tennis court. Um, but it's also helped me kind of assess my life at times when I hear that voice and I hear that ego saying, well, what about me? Why didn't I get that? And I deserve this to, um, to, uh, to stay neutral and, and just be, if you are in the moment and you're present, then anything is surprising. Everything, every shot, every opportunity um, is, is, is exciting because you're you're approaching it from a present point of view. You're not expecting anything. You're not expecting to win that point. You're not expecting I deserve a certain role. I don't know. It's kind of funny, but that's why I love tennis because I feel like there's so many moments where I'll learn about tennis and then I will learn about my life and they are always informing each other. Absolutely. And and that idea of neutrality, there's a certain mindfulness quality to it because yeah, I think, of course. think some. Sometimes people expect like, oh, well, if I really evolved and everything would feel really easy. And I feel like, well, I don't know. I mean, your brain might still try to attack you and your ego might, you know, attack you. But that idea of neutrality is just the ability to go, okay, brain, I hear what you are saying and go to bed. I'm just, I don't, yeah, but you don't have to, you don't, I don't know. There's a great idea that like you are not your thoughts. And I yeah. love that idea because we can attach our identity to what our internal monologue is as opposed to detaching from it and going, oh, well, that's not, 
maybe I don't have to listen to, maybe that's not who I am. That's just a thing in my head that yeah. I can just go fuck off <laughs> basically. Yeah. And the challenge is not to listen to the positive thoughts, the positive thoughts of, oh, I'm so great. I'm so, look at me, look how well I'm doing. <laughs> you know, those are just as destructive. I think a lot of times there was a lot, uh, you know, to do well in life, you had to think positively, you know, like write out all these things, all these wonderful things you were going to achieve. And instead you can't attach to the good or the bad. Yeah. Because that, that completely uh, disengages the idea of neutrality. If you, if you're still, (laughs) if you're still going positive, positive, positive thing, the danger is like, well, that's still result oriented thinking. Yes. So it may not. And then if those things don't happen, then it could, you could be really upset. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Totally. Tennis is great though. You know, my mom played tennis when I was growing up. I I played a bit and I I can't help but wonder if, do you think there is an emotional attraction for you with tennis? Because unlike acting, it feels very linear where it's like, well, you put in a lot of work. There's a definite you know, like a game has a definite structure to it and you get better this way as opposed to, you know, like the shifting sands of the business. Like (laughs) tennis is very much like put in this amount of work. This will probably work out and this is how it happens. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) it. (laughs) I like that. I like, I, I, you know, I grew up with brothers, uh, three brothers and um, a lot of my life was spent playing games so I do like that this game is, your, as you said, confined. It's confined to a box and um, you have nobody but yourself to rely on, which I, I find incredibly challenging. Um, and I, yeah, I think that it came exactly, I think I, I became obsessed when I was 37, which is exactly the age in Hollywood where you feel extremely young and ready to take on, you know, incredible characters and incredible challenges. And yet the business doesn't quite know what to do with you. Um, and also, you know, as a woman, you're starting to look in the mirror and you're starting to see changes in your face and all the fear and anxiety that that can bring up. And and then there was this game that I could play every day where I could see myself getting better. Like you said, just if I did a hundred forehands over and over, the next day I would, I would have a better forehand. And little did I know though, that I've been at it since I was 37. So 15 years, no, no, I don't even want to do the math. Um, but it's been many years and I, I am, I'm a, I'm a, a solid player now, but yet the game of tennis is so difficult. Mm-hmm. And I have so much respect for the people that have reached the top because what it takes mentally and physically is just beyond. It is. And I, and I always wonder, <clears throat> you know, uh, of course, when you're younger, you think like, yeah, do whatever you need to do to like get to the top. And now as I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm gaining wisdom and certainly perspective, um, you know, just because of the last 10 months of quarantine or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but just the idea of like, well, yes, it probably is amazing to get to that point, but are you willing to pay the cost of that, like what that can do to you emotionally, what that can do to like, you know, it it might be difficult to maintain relationships with your friends and family. If you're constantly like fighting to stay the best, you know, I don't know. It it feels like, it feels like it looks better in the brochure maybe than it is to actually, you know, be, try to be the number one. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends. 
It depends. Yeah. On so many different factors. Um, I mean, imagine if you're Roger Federer and right. <laughs> you give your life to tennis and, and that all that, that, that tennis has um, been for him in his life. So it's, it's, I think it's different. I don't know. It, it's always balanced. It's always balanced. It's interesting. You know, my daughter's playing tennis right now, so I have to learn how to instill in her a sense of balance um, because she's extremely talented. And, and you could imagine taking that talent and saying, Hey, all right, there you go. You're going to the Academy and you're going to be there for the next right. 10 years. And obviously that's not something I, I don't think that's her path in life. Um, but then yet being the best that she can be, that's actually right. a really great thing is learning that your own individual success is based on becoming the best that you can be, right. not what someone else can be, but the best that you can be, given the circumstances of your life and the intentions that you want to have in your life. Yeah, I mean, that that idea that, well, the only person you should be in competition with is yourself yesterday, you know, it's like, how do you, you know, but again, I even wonder, like, is that also result-oriented thinking? Because you just, at the end of the day, it just like, you just want to be able to enjoy things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like things are supposed to what be fun. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> what a crazy concept. It's like you know, two in the past or two in the future or two. I got to got it. It's like, this isn't fun anymore. Like, oh yeah, that's right. This, oh, this was supposed to be a, an entertaining thing that I was supposed to do. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, again, I, I there, there are so many movies of yours too that I hope people go back and rewatch again. Like Adventures in Babysitting is a fantastic movie. And that was Chris Columbus. I remember, I remember when it came out and it was again, just one of those movies that just sort of really resonated with me. Do was, was Adventures of Babysitting. Do do you look back at it fondly? Do you, is that a movie that you have watched recently? Oh, I love that movie. It's one of my favorites. Oh, good. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've been able to watch that movie a lot, not a lot, but enough just because it's one of those movies that your kids can watch. Yeah. Um, so I think they've all watched it maybe once or twice. And yeah, it was my first starring role. Um, uh, it was a really wonderful time in my life. My brothers all came to the set. I think if you you look in the background, you can find each one of them in background scenes. <laughs> um, so that was very special. Even my father is in it. <laughs> Wow. And Chris was such a wonderful director. And I think, wasn't it, it wasn't his first film though. No. Was it his? No, I don't think that. No, he he, he directed Home Alone. Oh, no, 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 no. That was after. That That was was after after. Adventures of Babysitting. I feel like it was his first directing job because that was, I feel like it was a first for all of us. Yes. I'm almost positive, but. Yeah. Because he wrote Gremlins, but he didn't direct it. Yes. No, no, I think it was his first. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that experience was it. So at, while you oh, were doing it, you were able to enjoy uh, it. Oh, singing the blues. I mean, that will go down as my favorite experience of all time. That's really nice. And, that, and, that, and Adventures of Babysitting, was was that post Back to the Future 2? That was before. That was before. Yes, I think so. Yes, for sure. Yes. I mean, to be a part of that cinematic universe is insane i mean it you know like the the cultural touchstone of that movie and you and you see it now like it's so it's just such an accepted part of our 
pop culture. You know, it's not even our pop culture of our culture. It's such a so woven into our to our culture now. Yeah, no, it is incredible. It's amazing that I just happened to end up in a bunch of movies in the '80s that meant so much to people and that people still see. It's it's a uh, it's pretty cool. I, I really I really am very grateful for that for sure. And at the time, what did you think was, how did it feel? Like at the time, did it feel like, oh, this is the career I wanted or this is all happening or no, it didn't at all? No, I was always, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like because I, star- I started with a pretty innocent point of view on on what a career even meant in Hollywood. I mean, I really didn't, I didn't know how much money the Karate Kid even made really until like many years later, I didn't have a publicist. Um, my sense of style was pretty, pretty terrible. I never, I, I just had no sense of myself as an actor or what it meant to have a career. I was just kind of bumbling along movie to movie to movie. And what really was exciting to me was whether my, my brothers were excited, you know, like I remember when I got cocktail and uh, I was going to actually act with Tom Cruise <laughs> That's such a huge deal in my family. Um, my brothers were just obsessed with him and couldn't wait to meet him. So I do feel like I started this business from a very innocent point of view. Um, and then I would say as time went on, uh, I really cared more deeply about what it meant to be an actor and what it meant to challenge myself as an actor. And, and that, that kind of came about later. But when I first started, I, I have to remind myself to remember how exciting it used to be, you know, right. where it just, I mean, yeah, it didn't matter. You're in a commercial, you're on a movie, you're in a TV show. It's like, whoa, are you kidding me? How did this happen? <laughs> as time goes on, you're like, damn, I, what did I, why did I do that movie? And oh, no, now my career's going down the tubes. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just interesting how it shifts and how what you want out of it shifts. And I'm obviously, you know, once, once I met my husband, I think the two of us really influenced each other in terms of really focusing on wanting to be artists. I mean, not in a pretentious way, but sort of in a kind of uh, just a more connected emotional way. And so we really pushed each other to kind of go out there. And I think at that moment I just met him and that's when I did leaving Las Vegas. And, um, and uh, that, uh, that movie obviously meant so much to me because it, was you know just a chance for me to kind of express more sides of of uh, myself and to be a part of a production that was so uh just so beautiful in its its um intensity and you know it was four weeks that was four weeks of shooting basically Mike Figgis shot that in four weeks oh my god yeah and so I don't know so that that was the moment where I, f- I feel like I went from just enjoying the fun of just acting and and um to wanting more out of it. And then I got disappointed <laughs> because I wanted so much out of it. See, I wasn't neutral. <laughs> you got disappointed because why? Well, 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 just because, you know, that I wanted so much out of it and oh, I wanted right, I wanted right. to do even better parts. I wanted to be even work with better people and better directors. And then I lost my neutrality. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. 
Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That is an interesting... <laughs> I mean, like that, that, like, that should just be a clip quote, like, you know, don't lose your neutrality because... <laughs> That absolutely, but so let's just say if you if you if you had the neutrality, what do you think would have been different? <laughs> Probably nothing. <laughs> I mean, I would have been happier. <laughs> exactly, you would have been happier. Like whether or not you had, yeah. it would have changed significantly. It's like you would have been happier, and yes. ultimately, again, that's the goal. Shit's supposed to be fun, yes. but oh yes. my god, who I can't even imagine what kind of a head trip that must be when. You know, you've done all these films in the 80s, all these fun, like uh, upbeat films. And then all of a sudden you take on this incredible, really serious, heavy role. And then you get nominated for an Academy Award. And that must be an insane head trip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at the time I pretended that it didn't matter much to me because I've always been good at that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, I'm sure it did matter a lot. And I'm sure I did expect a lot. <laughs> um, but I, you know, at the at the end of the day, now with my wisdom over all these years, I do, I can look back and just appreciate it, what it was for its own sake. And yeah. uh, so I'm glad I've finally gotten there. But I have to say at the time, yeah, I had a lot of expectation about what was going to come next. But it, but again, if if you're not really... If there's a way to detach from all that, yeah. you know, any, any kind of career that that goes on for a while is going to have the, that sort of a sine wave of like, now this and now this and now this and up and down. up And, and then, but ultimately, if you can just sort of navigate it and, it and it seems like you've done it beautifully, you know, you 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 have a family and you still you still work on really cool shit. You were fucking great. Sorry, pardon my language. You were fucking <laughs> great in The Boys. Well, I loved that part. That was so much fun. That was one of my favorite parts of all time. Yeah. yeah. So, so fun. I loved the writing. Um, Eric Kripke's incredible. Um, I loved the cast. I, I just felt so, so appreciative to be there. Yeah. One of the great parts I'll ever have. Um, but then also you mentioned Cocktail earlier. And when I think, I got to go back and watch that movie again, because I have a feeling it Cocktail is one of those movies that's like, this is a time capsule of the late eighties. Like it feels, I bet it probably just feels like the music and the neon. And even that idea of like, I came to a city with a dream in my pocket and a song in my heart, you know, like that, yeah. that kind of eighties, like cultural ideal also, like everything about it feels super eighties. Yeah, no, I know. I, those movies, do you think they could ever make those kind of movies again? That's also what's so great about them is just the time they took to develop those stories. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if, if our culture has the time now to, I, they're, they're starting to do movies like, um, like those movies. I would say Netflix, thank goodness for Netflix. I, you know, they do have the ability to, to tell those stories. You know, they're, they're probably not going to be seen in, in, um, on movie screens. They probably won't be those right. kind of stories anymore. So thank God that Netflix is going to still make those stories because yeah. It's so hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's really hard to imagine what, you know, uh, in the seventies, George Lucas said there was this major shift that happened in film because Star Wars, Jaws, and The Godfather all came out. And when that happened, the film industry and movie theaters in general became flush with cash. And so as a result, they opened multiplexes. And multiplexes had small theaters, which then opened the door for independent films, which you used to have to just throw a canister of film in your trunk and drive around the country and put it up in them, you know. And so that was a shift. And now I think we're seeing the same kind, we're in the midst of the same kind of shift where it's like, well, maybe when movie theaters are a thing again, people will go see big event, you know, like superhero movies, big budget robot movies. But but, but this idea of like Netflix and streaming and all that, like that's like really where the arty stuff is really going to happen. Yeah. No, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the amount of content there is now, really. Just, I mean, just selfishly for actors. There are yep. so many more interesting stories being told now on television and either in film version on, you know, a, a film possibly on Netflix or, you know, Amazon. And then um, also these long form stories. I mean, how cool is, you know, Cobra Kai would never exist without, without this new form. And um, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And I'm, I mean, my, my family, we're so addicted to so many different stories because because we get to follow characters for a long time we get to do it on our own time which I think is is a benefit um except when my kids are <laughs> addicted to a show and they're not doing their homework <laughs> other than that um, it's, a good thing. it's a really good thing yeah I also think um uh, Hamlet 2 is a great movie. Oh, I love that movie. I know. Well, well you know, I was going to tell you about, so when I lost the neutrality, okay, <laughs> then, um, when I did expect that I should have a lot more than I <laughs> was getting, I then I, I realized that I had to come back to just working for the sake of working. Right. And there are a few films that I care about equally to the films that I starred in, um, I love Mysterious Skin. I love Hamlet too. Um, I love Battle of the, Se- Battle of the Sexes. So yeah. I, I I realize that it's not about <laughs> your ego. It's about the people. It's about the story that you're going to be a part of. It's about being with people you look up to and respect. And I got that chance, and it didn't it didn't matter that I was a star. It didn't matter getting attention. It was mattered that I was a part of stories and part of movies that I loved. And so I got that. And now I'm back. I'm back in terms of my understanding of what matters. The idea, and this isn't really a too major a spoiler because it's, it's, it's like from the first moment you appear in Hamlet 2, it's explained. But you play yourself. And you've basically just, you, you play Elizabeth Shue who has quit acting and become a nurse. Because you just <laughs> wanted to help people. And it's, it's just such a brilliant it's such a brilliant and brave thing for an actor to do because in a way you're sort of winking to the audience. Like there, there's a, a little bit of a meta thing going on, but it's, but it's so wholesome and so fun and funny. And so 
I mean, obviously you didn't audition for the part of Elizabeth Shue. So how, how did you get involved in Hamlet too? <laughs> um, uh, they, they asked me to be, to be a part of it. And um, I was so flattered at, at first, you know, it was really funny at first, of course, I, I was, I think my agent was worried that it would sort of call to attention that I haven't been in a lot of movies and people would might even believe that I, that I had quit the business. Um, but I thought it was hilarious and I just love that it. it kind of right was on the nose of where I was feeling at that point. I mean, you know, I don't think there's an actor out there who hasn't thought about quitting right over and over and over again. You know, their ego is just like done. Like I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> I just, right. I just, I just can't, I'm, I'm done. Um, so I thought it was perfect timing for really where I was and to make fun of it. And, um, and Steve Coogan is just so brilliant and just showing up on the set in the first day and him being so excited that I was there, like exactly the way he was in that scene <laughs> was so funny. <laughs> oh my God, that scene. I mean, that scene still makes me laugh. I can just remember every, I just remember how his expression was like, oh, Elizabeth Shue, like, <laughs> so, so happy. Oh, it makes me laugh thinking about it. <laughs> and, and I would, I would say that knowing, knowing, knowing that your goal moving forward was to take artistic style, like artistic choices, I think, you know, come from an expression of honesty. And if you had taken that role in hopes of like creating some kind of result, that wouldn't have been the honest reason to take it. But since you really felt that way and there was an authenticity to it, yeah. I think that was the most artistic choice. You expressed something that you were feeling. Totally, totally, yeah. No, I love that movie. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you remembered that one, yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, my wife and I watched it probably, I probably during quarantine, she was like, have you seen Hamlet 2? And I go, yeah, but not for a long time. She goes, it's one of my favorite movies. We should watch it again. And we watch it and it's great. I mean, it's 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 just such a funny, like, it, it does have that sort of like dry British, we should make a sequel to Hamlet. But then, but it's not, it doesn't just rely on that. Like the the, the sort of the characters in the story, it's really fun. There's like, yeah. there's a lot of fun, there's a lot of fun stuff that oh, happens. Amy Poehler's in that film. Have you, her part is, is so funny. Yeah, that's another movie that just got lost. I mean, it just didn't have its moment. Um, that that was a, an eye opener for me too. That I always thought that if you were in a great movie, or or even for Steve, you know, like this was going to be his moment. And yet, um, there's just such a fragility that takes place when a movie's released, whether it hits at the exact time where the culture can actually appreciate it. And it was a little um, late, you know, those, those kind of movies were not getting the attention that they deserved. You know, people had already moved right. on, I think a bit to the, to the superhero model. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, and you, it, it goes back to what you're saying. So the neutrality protects you from, I mean, we, this business, we have l no, con like 99% of it, we can't control. No matter what sort of security bubbles you think are in place or like, well, I've done this, so I should be, you know, it's like none of that. We just fool ourselves all the time thinking that we know or, you know, and so it, it, like all you can do is what you can do, you know? Yeah. Do you have issues with neutrality? Are you, are you uh well, I'm a comedian and I think we all, I think all <laughs> comedians have issues with neutrality because we are conditioned to, you know, like it's all about us when we're on stage, 
the negative side of that is ego, but the positive side of that is that we try to create an environment like in a, you know, like doing standup where we, we don't have to rely on anything other than ourselves on stage connecting with an audience. And I think that is very attractive up against a business where you can't control if you're on the hot list or if you, if your last thing did okay, you know, it's like, if you can walk into a room full of people and make them laugh with just yourself and a microphone, that's really kind of distills it down, you know, but even that business. Yeah. And, 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 and it can be very, you know, of course it's like, there's a constant struggle with, like the idea that you think you should, that you have something important enough to say that you should get up in front of a bunch of strangers and try to make them like you is, I think, the definition of ego. So it's sort of a, you know, it's like trying to undo that conditioning. And like you said, like, we'll be neutral and appreciate the process. And it doesn't, you know. Yeah, like it would be fine if nobody laughs at any joke, right? That'd be fine. Cause that's- I would like to say that if I were evolved enough to say that that's true, but no, of course it would just shred you inside and, you know, and, and you can, there, you can be performing for a thousand people and 999 people can be laughing. And if one person yeah. is not, you cannot help but zero in on them and go, why don't, what is, <laughs> why don't you like, then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is just that you're, you're just chasing this ego carrot. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I say all these things, it's easy to talk in these broad terms. We should do this. And a person, of course I have my own struggles. We, we all, you know, it's like the fact that we're performers, like what an incredible like human experiment to how do you become neutral and separate yourself in a business that thrives and feeds on mm-hmm. ego, you know, like that's so much of what it is. And how do you extract that to just get to the art of it? I, I mean, I haven't figured yes. it out, but I'm fascinated by it. Daily. I think it's probably a daily practice. <laughs> you have to remind yourself every second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, when I, I stopped auditioning for acting roles probably 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. Why? Just, Why did you stop? What was the... Because I'm better as... I like being myself. Like, I like hosting and I like doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. Acting, I, I found that I would be in a room auditioning and there were people who were way better at auditioning than I was. And I found myself going home and feeling bad about not getting stuff (laughs) for things that I didn't even want, you know? Uh And so I just felt like, Oh, this is just, this is just more damaging to my soul. And I don't think I'm passionate about portraying other characters. And also, honestly, I, I, you must have all the patience in the world, but to sit around for like 12 hours on a set and you work maybe 15 minutes, like that drives me, up the wall. Like I just like to get in, do the thing and not think about it anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. That all, that auditioning process was, was pretty tough. I hear it's so different now. I mean, there's so much, um, you get to self tape now you send in your tapes. You don't have to deal with that awful moment of walking into the room where they're all staring at you and you know, they don't want you. They're ready to move on. Oh my God. Yeah, and you can hear other people auditioning on the other side of the wall. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so evil. Oh gosh, yeah, I don't miss that. Yeah, that's. Fun. You- I don't know if I could audition for. I I still have auditioned for for some things over the years for sure, for sure. But um, it's really it's it's a relief when I don't have to. I was terrible at it too, by the way. 
Really? Yes. Oh God, I was terrible. You worked so much. How's that possible? Oh, I was terrible. I don't know. I just I relied on the kindness of a few people that somehow could see through my awkward, nervous, kind of needy. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I just couldn't deal with the the energy was so intense that I couldn't calm myself to a place where I could actually do what I knew I could do. Right. Um, I just was so aware of of everyone else in the room, like, well, how are they reacting? And they don't like me. I can tell already. Um, it was just, yeah, it was so, such a, such a tough experience, but. Has, I, this is, a, I don't think this is that weird of a question because we sort of touched upon it a little bit. Has tennis helped you in that way? Stay in the moment and not worry about a million other things. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, well, I, I think the uh, the idea, like, you know, we were talking about um, comedy and how you're waiting for a laugh and then you don't get one. Um, I think that was like, that helped me with this idea that it's not about the happiness of a good shot. You know, there's going to be another shot after that. You're going to hit one good shot and then you're going to miss a shot and then you're going to have to serve again and then you're going to play another point and another point and another point and another point. And <laughs> Um, the fact that you have to constantly go into battle and you have to constantly stay calm and the result really doesn't matter. And if you care about the result while you're playing, you can't play. And I had that experience. I mean, I went, I decided to challenge myself and put myself into these ridiculous tournaments just to see where I was. (laughs) And I was overwhelmed by the moment, overwhelmed by wanting to win or wanting to prove that I was as good as I thought I was. And right. failed spectacularly, um, and and learned that lesson of neutrality in like <laughs> in a very intense way. Um, just the shame of of not living up to the expectation of what you thought you should be able to achieve. So yeah, I mean, I think I think with acting, it's really helped me. Um, you know, as we said, you know, it's like it's a point by point situation. I do this film, I do that film. It doesn't do well, I hit another point. I go to work. It's just you're a carpenter, you're making, you're making a shelf, you know, take away all the hoopla and that's what you're doing. Yeah. But you can, but the other thing that's, that's a little unfair about the balance of it is, you know, you can play several games of tennis in a day, but you can do what a couple movies a year, you know? So it's like the frequency is so much lower for, for doing a film or a television series that you're sort of, you know, it's like you can miss a point and go, well, there's, you know what? I don't have to worry about it. You know, we're playing three sets. There's a shit ton of, you know, but with a movie, it's like, oh, I did two movies this year. And if one of them does well and one of them doesn't, like, how do you, you know, it's like navigating. That was your year, you know? Yeah. Well, I think finally, I really don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. I really don't care if they do well or not. I really don't. There's it's kind of none of your, your business yeah. in a way. You know what I mean? Like you did what you were supposed to do and that you can't control anything else. No, I can't. I can't. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. There's so many elements that go into making a thing. You can't control the lighting, the music, how it's edited, what other people are doing, the shot. Like you, like actors, as celebrated as acting is, it is such a small part of the whole process and so many things have to go right. It's just not anything you can do about it. Yeah. But we're just laughing about it. It's not our fault because deep down we do think it is our fault. <laughs> oh, we're going to blame ourselves. <laughs> why didn't this, I, I should have, Oh God. Why did, I, I should have been oh, sleeping more. I don't know. I should have, what was I, what did I do wrong? 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sometimes it just comes down to I just should have said no. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but you learn that for the next time. Like that's again, that's just part of the learning process. You learn you learn what to do and 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 the things that you might think are errors um, yeah. on the quarter in the business are like, well, that was a learning experience. Exactly. And you know, when it comes down to it, when I say, oh, I should just have said no, I really can't think of any film, maybe one or two, maybe one that um, I would give up the experience. Yeah. Well, Even if it didn't turn out well, I, you know, the experience itself was actually very challenging. I really did enjoy working with most of the people I've ever worked with in this business. So why would I give that up just for the result to be better, you know? Yeah, and, and honestly, like I said, I mean, hopefully you're able to connect in some way with the idea that you really have been in some of the most influential films in the history of film. Okay, my ego's back. I feel good now. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying you have, you know, like it's, you know, your career is amazing and impressive and it continues to be. And I'm so glad that you... Um, I'm so glad that you wanted to be a part of Cobra Kai because it, it it's 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 weirdly hard to not get emotional when I watch it because it is not only is it so much a part of you know me growing up and obviously there's the nostalgia part of it but there is also this wonderful philosophical like they've just taken it to such a level where you're like oh my god you know these people at the core of it except for maybe John Kreese they're all good people who just can't get out of their own way. And it's just, if they could just get out, if they could just sit down and have a fucking conversation, you know, like, which your character helps facilitate. Yes. But it was just such a wonderful, we, my wife and I were both so excited that you, that you wanted to come back and be a part of it. Oh, I'm so glad I did it. I'm so, so happy I did it. Yeah. I really enjoyed myself. Um, I, the, the guys are just awesome human beings. I just loved how no time had passed at all. And, I, and I've said this, but it's really true. I did feel like I was at a high school reunion. And I didn't go to any of my high school reunions. None of them. I haven't been to any of them. So I, I feel like in some ways that was mine. You know, and um, I was thinking, you know, the one scene um, that I just really uh, were really related to. And I um, still am amazed that it hit me so emotionally was the scene saying goodbye to, to um, Daniel's character at the party. Yeah. I, I was, I still think about that. Like, wow. I had no, um, just didn't think that it would be an emotional scene at all. And yet out of nowhere, um, I almost was so embarrassed at how emotional it felt to say goodbye to him. And I thought, oh my God, like in that moment, I'm like saying goodbye to my, to my innocence or I'm saying goodbye to my first experience in, in this business. And then you're like saying goodbye to your first crush. Like, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, I would never have thought that, that my experience coming back to Cobra Kai would be as emotional as it turned out to be. And fun, really fun. But but that I always love when there's some emotional learning or something that affects your life because, you know, it becomes part of my soul. I get to experience that. It's still part of me, even though I'm acting. You know, it still is. It, it's in me. And it was it was really wonderful to have that moment. It was. It was so well done. And again, it's 
I think they have done such a brilliant job. I mean, they're really, Cobra Kai is really kind of doing what the superhero universe does, which is there is the universe of Cobra Kai. And it's, it's just that they're doing this sort of like detailed embroidery of kind of stitching up all the things in a in really respectful way of all of the lore of the show from all the movies, you know, like it, and it, and in, 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 in such a satisfying way. Yeah, no, it's incredible. It works on so many different levels and that, that they found this great humor. Billy, Billy is so, so good in it. He, he, he's just, it's such a great portrayal of the guy who used to be like the, you know, the number one dude of, it's like, yeah, there are those people who, and to a degree, you know, everyone just can't get over their past. Like he's so much in his past. He literally can't (laughs) get out of it. You know, can barely work a computer, still listens to the same music. Like he's living in that glory moment. And it obviously is just like a jacket that does not fit anymore. And it's like, he's maybe I need to, kind of just live the now <laughs> yeah. and, not, and not in 1984 or five. I know that last scene. Oh, are we not supposed to talk about certain things in the show, right? Oh. Well, we can, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll give a spoiler. I'll give a light spoiler warning. People know that you came back. It's not like, I mean, obviously they would assume that you would run into both of those characters. So I don't think it's any great. I'll give a spoiler warning at the top. It was very emotional. I mean, how incredible that they can take that tone that's so funny and so over the top at times and then have it all come together at the end and have it be so emotional uh, to the, you know, the backdrop of like a great 70s rock and roll classic. Like, it's just so (laughs) good. It's just just so good. I'm very respectful of the guys of John and, and Hayden and Josh. Like, what they've created, they must... They must have so much fun, you know? You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMed's offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. <laughs> So I'm a father of one. I got to find a babysitter. I found Care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out Care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. Obviously, I mean, I don't know if anyone, do you know if they're doing a fourth season? Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Oh, well, I don't know if we're supposed to talk about that, but I'm, yeah, I, I know they are. I think that's been out in the press for sure. I think that was I one mean, of the reasons why they wanted to come to Netflix because Netflix was so excited about it that they said, hey, we'll, we'll give you another season. Great. Great, great, great. Yeah, that, that's really good. Cause it does, it's, it's, it does end in an open-ended way. 
So it feel it felt like well they ha- they have to come they have to come back, but uh, you know is I mean are you allowed to are you going back do you know <laughs> are you allowed to, you know like probably not allowed to say. Probably not allowed. <laughs> Um, I don't, I really don't. I, I, so I can honestly say that. (laughs) Okay. 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 Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No idea. idea. And they have, you know, they have all kinds of plans and, you know, just, we're all living in the moment, you know, we're all living in the moment. We're not, (laughs) Chris, it's time for us all just to be neutral and not expect anything or want anything just to just be present. (laughs) Well, like, you know, like it, the, the the last 10 months, and I've said this on the podcast many times before, have really opened my eyes to like, oh, you know, I really, I'm looking forward to the afternoon walk we're going to take with our dog. You know, it's like those, those life things. And, and, and that I, I really do, like, I, I feel like those are the things that I, sh- we should have already appreciated, but you just get caught up in so many things. And then, you know, when, you know, it's like the world sort of shuts down. It's like, well, what do I have? I have this day, you know, today my wife and I are both healthy. We're okay. We have a dog. We're going to like, it just, it just, it sort of just strips everything down to what I feel like is what you were talking about before about experiences. Like, well, what is the experience? I, I'm not, I can't live in the future because who knows. And so I'm just, what do I have today? We got our dog today. So we're going to just play with him and take him on a walk and enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. My dog is about to howl right now. You listen carefully. Listen. Can you hear him? No. Oh, so great. He like yodels. He like howls whenever a siren goes by. What do you have? <laughs> uh, a little Frenchie. Oh, that's sweet. What do you have? We have, um, we got him a month before quarantine. He's called an otter hound. It's an old English breed that was, it's like a, it looks like an Irish wolfhound, but a little dopier. And uh, they were bred to hunt otters centuries ago. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of otter hunting work anymore. So they're, you know, their, their breed is dwindling. And so, you know, my wife wanted to like help conserve the, the breed. So, so we, we got one and, and he's, Ignore, he's like he's over 105 pounds now so he's wow yeah. yeah yeah i know walking the dog is such a profound experience i mean it's it's really funny how what what, what if you didn't have a dog you wouldn't go out, outside twice a day and walk by your neighbors and be outside and say hello to the trees and look at the surroundings and realize where you are i mean it's it, like you said it's just so simple but um yeah, my wife said know, that like more he's, enjoyable. Helped, he's helped, he's really helped her a lot during this process because she, she said exactly what you said. Like, she was like, I don't think I would have gone outside if I hadn't. And he gives me a reason to go outside and something to focus on and love and, mm. you know, get love in return. I am jealous of your Frenchie though, because I, you know, like any dog that has little poops, I am so jealous <laughs> of, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Isn't it funny? <laughs> Whenever they, they go, you're like, oh, it's a good one. <laughs> we've been married not to be gross but we've been married for <laughs> almost four and a half years we've never talked about poop so much as we with the, the dog like never before and then now was it solid okay is he okay yeah. is he oh yeah pills? we need to like make sure well that one was a little runny so we need it's like wow we've really like so much of our day is about the dog's poops <laughs> yeah totally okay 
Yeah, who knew that it was so important? Well, you don't have kids yet, though, do you? No, but we're but we're trying. Okay, so, well, very interested in their poo as well. Just so you, you know. have to. <laughs> you have to make sure that everything's working okay. That is an important. You yes. can't take that for granted. You have to focus on those things. <laughs> yes, you do. So you know when you're concerned about your do- your animal or child's poops, I think that's really healthy because how can you be worried about some stupid entertainment thing? when you literally are like, that is, that is the most important thing of your day. I think that's, I think that's good. Yes, it is. It's very grounding. Very. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been able to play tennis during, uh, during all this? Oh yeah. Thank God. Thank God. I really, I I think I would have had a mental breakdown if I couldn't play. Um, Yeah. It's, it's uh, the one sport that you're allowed to play. There's naturally distancing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I um I don't play as many times a week because I have to do strength training now to make sure that I don't get injured. Um, but I still get about three three to four times a week I play. That's fantastic. Yeah. If you know, with with sort of sort of neutrality and the wisdom that you have now, is that is that some of the advice that you would impart to? Uh, to 80s Elizabeth Shue, like, hey, just don't worry about it. Be neutral. Like, what, what, would, you, what would you tell her now? Wow. Um, uh, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, I would tell her to not expect so much and not care so much what other people thought of her. <laughs> um, I, mean, I-, I think that was pretty detrimental to my soul all those years of caring so much what people thought of you I that that would mean that I would tell her that for sure and then I would tell her that it's okay to just be who you are to be to be somebody who's not caring about the business to be somebody who doesn't know how to wear dresses properly and um, is clueless about all the things that I was clueless about. Like, I think I beat myself up so much when I was younger because I expected so much out of myself and was constantly comparing myself and wondering what everyone thought of me. And I would just, yeah, I would just say, just, just accept where you are and just enjoy the moments of working with all these really interesting people. And that's all that it's going to be. That's it. And so th- then this kind of dovetails into parenting advice, which is how do you impart that to kids who are mm-hmm. growing up? And you know that that's just a part of youth. That's just a part of like w- wanting all those things and looking for false metrics to, especially with social media, false metrics to feel like you have value. Like how do you, how do you like unravel that and, you know, like tell, like impart to your kids, like, Hey, you have value with all that, all that shit, you know, like that's just, that's play. That's fantasy. It doesn't mean anything. Like, how do you, how do you, like, what's good advice for me as when we someday have kids to impart to them so that they have those tools? Well, one thing I've learned about being a mom is that kids do not like advice. (laughs) Um, uh, i don't think you can impart too much advice to them where they shut down and don't want to hear it okay um and this will sound cliche but i would say try to be a good example Mm -hmm. 
of how you would hope that they would grow and evolve as humans. I would say that's the best you can do is kind of mirror for them um, certain character traits, because I feel like at the end of the day, that's really what your job is, um, is to be a good example for them and teach them without giving them advice, (laughs) Um, (laughs) character traits and very simple ones, you know, what it means to be respectful of other people, what it means to be kind to yourself and others, um, what it means to be curious, what it means to work hard, you know, all of those character traits, if that's what's most important to you in your life, then, and they see that, then I, I feel like that's the most you can do. That's, that is phenomenal advice because I think it's so easy to think that there's a quick fix for everything or just like a, you know, like a quick saying that you can throw at someone and fix all there. But you're right. Like living by example is literally the way that their brains are programmed, like to absorb. And, you know, I think all the things as that parents probably think like they're hiding, like all their kind of emotional insecurities that they're hiding from their kids. It's like, yeah, you're probably not, you know, like, Uh, yeah. No, yeah, they, they really watch you. <laughs> they really watch you. Um, I think sports is good. I would say, you know, if I had to give you one piece of advice, I would get them involved in sports, not in any obsessive, compulsive, crazy, sort of ego-driven way. But I think sports is a great, um, great teacher to oh, people. I don't know anything about sports. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't ask you what your sport was. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, that's true. Okay, very yeah. fair. Very no, fair. No, I want to hear what was your sport because I bet you learned, you had to learn from your sport as well. What was it? So my father was a professional bowler, so I grew up on the Pro Bowlers Tour. Whoa, that's crazy! And then my dad opened a bowling center in '81, I think, in Tennessee, wow. and you know, and so. Um, but then my mom's dad was a golfer, so I would go out and play golf with my grandfather. My mom's mom played tennis, so I would play tennis with my mom. Wow. So. But really, you know, for me, it was bowling and chess. I was a very, um, uh, I played a lot of chess when I was in grade school, tournament chess. And so. Oh, oh, so you must love. I mean, it's sport of a sport. Bowling is kind of a sport. Chess is a little bit of a, I mean, there's strategy involved. Oh, yeah, of course. That is a sport. Chess is a sport for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I sort of feel like my parents are really cool with me because they realized that I wasn't into football or basketball or baseball or anything. They were into everything, but they still saw what I was into and they fostered it. And so that's what I hope I can do when we have kids, even if it's something, even my kids, like, I want to play baseball. I don't want to be the parent who's like, that's dumb. You know, I want to be like, all right, let's figure this out. I, I don't understand it, but you love it. And that's all that matters. So let me just, let me just feed that. Cause that's what my parents did for me. Yes. Wow. So were you actually a great bowler as well? Yes. Which I don't mind saying because I don't think that's a brand. <laughs> God, that's so hard to do how to get that the spin with the, I, I, you know, how everyone, all us amateurs, we just try to like line it up straight with our arm, just extended and try to just kind of like keep it as straight as possible. But all the great bowlers spin it with their wrist. That Some of that's so unfair hard. though. Some of that's unfair because if you're, if you just go to, to a bowling center and you just pick up a house bowling ball those balls are not designed to do that they're oh. they're they're very they're designed to 
get thrown around a lot. They're designed to be really indestructible. And so they don't, so some of it is knowing how to do that, but some of it's also professional bowlers have bowling equipment that is inclined to do those things as well. So it's sort of not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now I have an excuse for being a terrible bowler. You have an excuse. And also, (laughs) again, the bowling is just one of those things. It's like, you know, I don't know if I, like I said, I don't think it's really a brag, you know, it's like, but I just grew up in bowling center. So that, that you also practiced hours and hours and hours, right? I did. you You had to be obsessed. I think that's the key to any greatness in sports. There has to be a certain level of obsession. Yeah, I think so. But it, but again, it's, it also is learning how to not let each shot define your whole, and my parents were never like, my dad was never like make a strike or I won't love you. But I, but I think, (laughs) but I, I like, I wanted to be good at it because he was good at it, but he was like, I don't care what you do in life. Just do what you love, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, so Love so so love me. Look, I look what I scored. <laughs> and, and it wouldn't have mattered either way. Like he was, he just wanted me to be. You know, my dad just wanted me to be. Happy. Were your parents like when you wanted to be an actor? Were were they like great? Do it, love it. Uh, yeah, they had no interest in acting. There was nobody in my family who had ever acted before, so there was there was zero pressure to succeed. Thank God. Um, yeah, I mean, I had my own pressure just to be seen. You know, I think it was more more like, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and I, I think I was pretty mediocre at sports. I, I never excelled at any one sport. You know, I was kind of a mediocre gymnast, mediocre soccer player. Um, and I never, you know, I just never cared about sports, but that's what my family cared about. And so maybe that I, I look back and I go, oh, maybe that's one of the reasons why I was interested in acting, you know, hey, I can't I can't play sports well. But look, I, I did that, you know, give me some attention. Um, there might have been a little of that going on. But then but your bro- but you have a brother who's an actor, too. Yes. Yes. And a great soccer player. You know, he oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He um, all my brothers played um, played soccer in college. Amazing athletes they can play any sport well. So there's a lot, a lot of competition, a lot of expectation to live up to them, you know? Right. Um, so it still drives me. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I started playing tennis. Cause now I can beat all of them. <laughs> that's not, I mean, listen, I know we talk about like, well, be neutral, but that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's pretty nice. Oh my God. But the expectation of wanting to beat them makes it very hard for me to beat them sometimes <laughs> because I want it so badly. And then, then I'm not neutral. And then all of a sudden I get really tight because I care too much. Um, but yeah, finally I have vanquished them. That's good. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. And then also just like <laughs> managing what's in between your ears is like the biggest hurdle of all, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, you could be great at something, but if you can't get past what's in between your ears, then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah. No, not at all. But I also, and as I'm wrapping this up, I also am very inspired by, because, you know, you talk about bowling. I learned to bowl as a kid. So it's just in my molecules. I could pick up a bowling ball anytime and I know how it's supposed to feel. I, I've, I've been trying to learn to play musical instruments as an adult. And I'm very frustrated because I'm like, it's not in my, like, I don't know how this is supposed to feel because I didn't learn it while my body was 
forming, mm. you know, but then you became a really good tennis player and you were an adult when you learned tennis. And so that to me goes, oh, well, just stick with it. So like, just keep doing it and you'll figure it out. Yes. And if you don't expect too much and you allow yourself to just stay in the moment, then you won't be disappointed and you will not have the gifts that you had as a kid learning a sport when you were not aware of what you were doing and your DNA and your molecules were not forming around a perfect way of right. spinning that ball and making it hit pins. Um, there are times where I get really annoyed that it hasn't come easier and I see my daughter and how easy it has been for her in comparison. But I think that's kind of a, the fun part of, of forcing yourself to challenge yourself now. It's going to be yeah. difficult. That's yeah. cool. It's great when it's difficult. Right. Why would we want anything different? Because that's where you grow. Exactly. If it was easy, what would be the point? So you should bless the fact that it's so hard. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I just, you know, I, I just have to say again, this has really, really, really been enjoyable talking to you and such an honor and a pleasure. And, you know, again, um, thank you. Thank you for being a part of so many great, being great in so many great things that have been influential in my life and been influential in so many people's lives. And Aww. it's just, it's really nice getting to chat with you. I was so, I was so excited when I heard you want to do the podcast. I was like, she does? Oh my gosh, that's great. You know, like it, it I've really- never done a podcast. This is my first one. Really? Well, I hope you had a nice time. I did. I did. It was really fun. Good. It was really, really fun. Yeah. So different from- yeah, the the you know the interviews that you do, um, it was really nice just to have a conversation and and of course about something that I love so much. I love that we could share that. That was really fun. Yeah, well, the interviews like you know it's like you normally have five or seven minutes and it's like there's an agenda. It's like well, I got to get through all these points or they ask you. Yeah. You know, and and I, and I try to be really mindful to not, you know, because there's a lot of like detail oriented questions like oh should I. Should I ask a ton of questions about Back to the Future too? No, she's probably been asked those a million times and maybe she doesn't want to talk about it anymore, you know? So it's, it's I appreciate that, you know, like I, this didn't feel like work. I didn't feel like I was digging around trying to find stuff. It was just a very naturally flowing conversation. So I really appreciate it. Oh, I so appreciate it. It was really, really fun for me. Yeah. If it was like this, I would do tons of publicity if this was what you had to do. Just have conversations with people about sports and acting and about life. Yeah. Did you, did you, have you done a lot of talk shows even, or do you I, not? Is I'm it... terrified of talk shows. I I've done a few here and there over the years. And if, if you ever see them, I'm kind of nervously like scratching my arm or um, my voice gets really high. I don't know what it is about talk shows. Sometimes they just feel so unnatural to me. Um, right. And, uh, but maybe, you know, if I could be neutral, <laughs> I could probably handle them better. But yeah, it, it is a very artificial environment where yeah. you have to come out, like have a rapport with someone in five minutes. Exactly. And get information out, but still feel natural. And it's like, yeah. it's, a, it's very hard to do. Yeah, it's very hard to do. Yeah. But, but um, maybe one day. But this is this is my favorite. This is much better. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate it. You're welcome on any time. If there's ever anything you're doing that you want to promote. Is there anything else uh, coming out that you want to mention? Um. I'm uh, I'm doing a show right now. Actually, well, I just finished shooting something that I'm very excited about. That will be on Netflix called On the Verge. That uh, is about four um, ladies in their 40s and 50s, written by Julie Delpy. Oh wow, that's awesome! And uh, yeah, we filmed it in, in L.A. 
in Venice. And uh, it was just, yeah, so much fun just to be with women, to um, work with Julie, who I've always looked up to. Um, yeah, it's just a slice of life. Uh, it's sort of about, you know, just what it's like to be this age and that we're all still kicking. We're all alive. We all <laughs> still have a lot of things to do with our lives and uh, just kind of neurotic and funny and uh, real, very authentic. Fantastic. Well, and yeah. do you know when the, that'll be out sometime this uh, year? Probably September, I okay. think, because it's it's a joint production with Canal Plus. In, and so I think it has to be released in France. Got it. Got it. Got it. First, and then it'll be on Netflix. So, yeah. So I'm excited about that, too. Fantastic. So that is Netflix later in the year. Uh, Netflix right now has Cobra Kai season three, which you should absolutely watch. Uh, Elizabeth Shue, again, thank you so much. So Absolute fun. pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Bye. The Bye. end. Bye. 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 ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the cat in the hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.